So Ephesians chapter 6, we're at verse 21. This is God's holy word. Tychicus, the dear brother and faithful servant in the Lord, will tell you everything so that you also may know how I am and what I am doing. I am sending him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage you. Peace to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with an undying love. May God bless his word to us this morning. The Apostle John taught the church simply yet profoundly, God is love. Jonathan Edwards, minister, preacher, theologian in the 18th century, as he thought about Paul's words, faith, hope, and love, these three remain, but the greatest is love. And as he thought about how faith and hope one day would pass away, he called heaven a world of love. And I hope that we see in our text today in Ephesians 6 that the church is and should be a family of love. So we come to verse 21 in Ephesians 6. This is obviously the closing part of the letter. And so in some senses, people could look at these verses and say, well, Paul is just doing some housekeeping details, as we say, in some respects. But everything that Paul is saying toward the end of this letter still flows out of the doctrine of the previous six chapters. These words here in verse uh, 21 in particular are obviously historically situated. They have a particular and an immediate relevance for the people, the Christians in Ephesus in the first century. We today in our day are not to be waiting for a man named Tychicus to show up at a worship service or a prayer meeting. And yet in a general way, Paul's words here still model for us the Christian life. There's lots to learn here as we hear this morning about this ancient Christian native of Asia Minor named Tychicus. First, I want to just go on a side road on his name itself. It comes from the Greek word tukikos, which means fortuitous or lucky. Tuke was the Greek goddess of luck. The Romans called her Fortuna. Now, kids, when we have, whenever we hear about Greek or Roman gods, I hope you remember Psalm 
96 verse 5. For all the gods of the nations are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. They're called gods, but they're not God. They're nothing. They're idols. They come from the imagination of sinful and fallen people. But the stories of these so-called gods were well-known. They would have been well-known in Paul's day in the first century, even if, really, and historians suggest this, even if most people by this point in the history of the, the Greek and Roman world were probably as atheistic and as secular as people are in our day today. Tychicus's name is related to other New Testament names like Eutychus, as the same root, that sleepy sermon hearer, or Syntyche, same root, the disagreeable sister, yet hardworking gospel servant. William Henriksen says that names derived from Greek gods are found throughout the pages of our New Testament. I wonder if that strikes you as strange. Even perhaps a bit less pious than you would have expected from a Christian. Have you ever wondered why didn't they change their names? Tychicus. Named after a goddess of luck. And yet Paul simply says, Tychicus, that's your name. Charles Hodge has a very helpful comment, I think, on Romans 16, verse 1, related to this subject, where we read of a lady named Phoebe. That's from the word phoibos, which means radiant. That's a lovely name. But it was also a nickname of the Greek god Apollo, Phoebus Apollo. And Hodge says, the early Christians retained their names, although they were derived from the names of false gods, because those names had lost all religious significance and reference. In like manner, we retain the use of the names of the days of the week without ever thinking of their derivation. Monday, moon day. That's what he's getting at. And I think there's a good reminder here for us of some sanctified common sense. Not everything with quote-unquote pagan origins is in itself irredeemably evil or to be absolutely avoided or condemned. Some things just don't need to be such a big deal. But sometimes people make them a big deal. And their lives seem caught up and and agitated even by making all kinds of things that aren't big deals. It wasn't a big deal for Paul or Tychicus, obviously. But people's lives can be taken up with all these little things that they make big deals 
And they want everyone else to make it a big deal. At times, I think Christians and churches have, in this regard, been straining gnats, while often at the same time swallowing camels. And I'll leave you to think about that. As you think about this man in our New Testament named Lucky. But what does Paul have to say about Tychicus? And that's really obviously what we want to focus on most this morning. Well, two things. He calls him first, literally, beloved brother, and then faithful servant. Beloved brother. We'll look at just that first one this morning. Beloved brother. And we'll leave faithful servant for another time. Well, first, Paul calls him brother. Brother. Tychicus was, of course, not physically related to the Apostle Paul. They were, by birth, Jew and Gentile. But as we've already learned in this letter, in Ephesians 2, for he himself, that's Christ, is our peace, who has made the two one, and who has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. His purpose was to create in himself one new man out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. For through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. You see, in Jesus Christ, people who would ordinarily, in other ways, be separated by all kinds of things, the way that we can look around our world today and see divisions and separations among people on all sorts of bases for all kinds of reasons. But in Jesus Christ, by the Spirit of Christ, even Jew and Gentile become family. God's household. Who have one father who have the same elder brother in Christ and who are sealed with the same spirit of adoption. Oh, the the significance of Paul saying to Tychicus, brother, brother. And that one word should should cause us to think and to pray as we remember that we are the family of God in Christ. We must constantly remember that. Think about that. And by God's grace, live that out more and more. Earthly families, in many ways, at many times, can be wonderful. But our human families are not the greatest family or the most lasting family. 
And we know, sadly, on the other hand, for some, family can be very hard. Even a terrible experience for some. But there is another family by God's grace. Though my mother and my father forsake me, the Lord will receive me. Psalm 27.10 God makes a home for the lonely. Psalm 68 verse 6 Brother, family, that's who we are. That's how we should live. And Paul here in speaking about Tychicus reminds us that the family of God is to be a family of love. Because he doesn't just say brother. He says beloved brother. The New International here that says dear brother is really too weak. We've used that word too much just without thinking at the head of letters, dear so-and-so. The word is beloved. Dear ought to mean that, but when we hear beloved, that's what we need to hear. The one who is agapeid, to use the Greek word underneath. In French, he is the bien-aimé frère. I even had to look it up in Portuguese. Irmão amado. He's the beloved brother. Beloved is a word that's used so often when people are mentioned in the New Testament. Some English translations use other words at times like dear friends. And so we don't get the force of the repetition How often in the New Testament, beloved, beloved, beloved. It's a repeated reminder that love forms and shapes the family of God. And of course, to be beloved biblically is first to be someone who is loved by God. And that's true of all Christians. To all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be his holy people, his saints. To be a saint, to be a Christian, to be a believer, the Bible tells you at at root is to be loved by God. This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us. In the letter to the Ephesians, corporately, As a church, as a body, we are loved, Ephesians 5.1, follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, as beloved children. It's something that goes for us all together, but it's also a very individual reality. Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me, Paul could say, and gave himself for me. And so the whole church is beloved. But every Christian should say with Paul, 
and remember with Paul who loved me and gave himself for me that the shepherd knows his sheep by name because he loves them. The other use in Ephesians of that word beloved, the first is the plural use in Ephesians 5.1. And the other use, the only other use in Ephesians is our text this morning, where Paul says to Tychicus, beloved brother, beloved brother. Not only loved by God, that's what Christians are, but also Paul's use here shows that we should have love for one another. Tychicus, the beloved brother. Several weeks ago, we considered from Song of Solomon, God's banner over us is love. God loves his people. But this morning in Ephesians 6.21, we see how love among brothers and sisters in the church is what we need to see and say and do. We should love each other as Christians especially. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another for whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. A new command I give you, love one another, said our Lord, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this will everyone know that you are my disciples if you love one another. God loves us. But we are to be beloved among ourselves. I looked this week at all the uses of this word beloved. In the New Testament, I read once in a letter from John Newton, who wrote Amazing Grace, and he wrote a letter to a young minister, he wrote many of them, but in this particular letter, and he was talking about preparing sermons, and he said, don't discount the use of helps, lots of other books and commentaries, but he said, as to preparation, I make little use of books Accepting the Bible and a concordance. Your Bible and a concordance, which is a book that lists where all the words appear. Right? That's so helpful. Just to go back, what does God's word say? So that's what I did. I looked up all the uses of beloved in the New Testament. We're not going to go through them all, but I lifted some out. What does God's word tell us about being beloved brothers and sisters in the church? Well, first, our love is to be non-prejudicial love. It's to be without favoritism. Paul, writing to Philemon about the runaway slave Onesimus, says... Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a beloved brother. There's a master 
and a slave and all that that meant in the ancient world. But Paul says, don't forget, he is your beloved brother. Non-prejudicial love. Ephesians 1.15, for this reason, ever since I have heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people. And obviously that is not something that just automatically happens. That we just have a non-prejudicial love for everyone in the church. Would that it were so, but why does James have to write in James chapter 2, my brothers, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, show no favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you. But to the poor man say, you stand there or sit at the floor by my feet. Did you ever imagine saying something like that? But even if we don't use the words, we have to watch out for the hard attitude of that. Sit on the floor by my feet. If you say those things, James says, have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Non-prejudicial love for all of God's people. May God search our hearts and see how we are loving each other and whether we have favoritism for one reason or another. Non-prejudicial love. Secondly, comprehensive love. Comprehensive love. And that comes out of 3 John verse 2, where Paul says, Beloved, I pray that you may enjoy good health and that all may go well with you, even as your soul is getting along well. Did you pick out the three categories of concern that John has for his beloved brother? Good health. Christians are not Gnostics. We don't ignore the physical side of life. God created us body and soul. If we love others, there will be ways that we express that in terms of their physical condition and needs. That all may go well with you. All the circumstances of life, relationships, finances, all sorts of things. Paul is concerned that all may go well. I love you. And I have a concern for everything that's going on in your life, not in a nosy, busybody kind of way, but in a loving, comprehensive way. If I love you, then I love what's happening in your life. I love to know what's happening in your life. And then he says, even as your soul is getting along well. If we love someone, we care about how they're doing spiritually, in their heart condition. And so, love asks questions. How are you doing after you fell? 
Love asks questions. How's it going with your job search? Love asks questions. You look like you're sad. Love is comprehensive. Thirdly, brotherly Christian love is sharing love. Sharing love. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 2.8, because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. Sharing love. In love, we speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, with all the words of Christ, the revealed infallible truth of the Bible. Paul did that in a special way as an apostle, as he shared with them the gospel of God, as he shared with these beloved people. But he said, we also share our lives because we loved you so much. We also share our lives. We can share the word of God. We can share the gospel with strangers. But as Christians, we should not remain strangers to each other. Look around this morning. Look around in this room, this congregation. How well do you know each other? How well do you know each other? Could it be possible? Could it be possible that even in a congregation as small as ours, there's someone here and you don't know their name? Do you know everyone's name here? I include myself in that too. I've messed up kids' names before. Do you know each other's names? If you don't even know each other's names, how can you say you're sharing your lives with each other? Love shares. Love shares. Fourthly, hospitable love. Hospitable love. Paul writing to beloved Gaius, third John again. Beloved, beloved, you are faithful in what you are doing for the brothers, even though they are strangers to you. These weren't people in his congregation. These were people who were traveling through and so strangers in that sense. They have told the church about your love. Please send them on their way in a manner that honors God. Hospitable love. Hospitable love. Romans 12.9 says, Love must be sincere. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. And the word practice there means to pursue, to run after, to chase it down. Doesn't that flow out of sharing love? We shared our lives as well. 
Well, how do we receive people? How do we send them on their way if they're visiting us as Christians? And certainly, how do we show hospitality to one another? Hospitable love. Don't preach on hospitality enough, probably. Fifth, brotherly love is warning love. Warning love. And again, I just was going through and seeing what what does God's word say. I'm not making up these categories saying, I I think this would be a good, good thing that love should be. Warning love. 1 Corinthians 4.14, the Apostle Paul says, I am writing this not to shame you, but to warn you as my beloved children. Love warns. Ephesians 4.15, instead speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head that is Christ. Speaking the truth in love. Love on occasion will compel us to say hard things to each other. In Proverbs 27, 6, you know the verse, wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. That goes in terms of our interpersonal relationships. We love each other, so sometimes we say hard things. It really is how more formal discipline in the church should should be and should be conducted. That it's out of a heart of love for people that the elders, if it's necessary in the case of persistent unrepentance, would discipline, would say and do hard things. Often it's not received that way. Who do you think you are? I'm out of here. But let me tell you, when even the discipline of the church is exercised in love, and when it's received in love, though in a sense we'd never want to to see it at all, if it's given and received in love, and if the Lord works It's a beautiful thing. It's beautiful. Warning love. Sixth, encouraging love. Encouraging love. First Corinthians 15, 58. Therefore, my beloved brethren, my beloved, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. Love encourages We should be the most encouraging people on the face of the earth as Christians who love each other. Don't we need encouragement? How sad when we don't find it, even in the church. Encourage each other. Encourage each other. Find ways to do it. 
Look for occasions to do it. Be creative in ways how to do it. Love encourages. It speaks honestly. It doesn't flatter. That's not loving. But it always seeks to encourage. Hebrews 3.13, encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. And Hebrews 10.25, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day approaching. What an amazing brief look at what God says in his word about how we should love each other, non-prejudicial love, comprehensive love, sharing love, hospitable love, warning love, encouraging loved love. Because we are beloved, beloved by God, beloved brothers and sisters in Christ. Encourage each other. Encourage each other with the word of God. As we've heard this morning before the service from 1 Thessalonians 4. When our beloved fall asleep in Christ. And your heart is full of love. But your mouth is empty of words. You don't know what to say. You open your Bible. You open your Bible to First Thessalonians 4. You read it. You pray it. Maybe you send it in a note. Or you say it. Because Paul ends that section, doesn't he, by saying, therefore encourage each other with these words. How wonderful that God gives us the words of encouragement that we can give each other. Doesn't he just give us everything we need? He gives us everything we need because he loves us in Christ. And that's that's something that I just didn't really realize until this week. That word beloved is used all throughout the New Testament. But the word beloved is used in the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, only of Jesus. It's used only of Jesus in the Gospels. Mark 1.11, and a voice came out of the heavens Thou art my beloved son, in thee I am well pleased. Christ was made like us in every way, yet without sin. He's the righteous son of God. When we think of the law of God, the Ten Commandments, and as Jesus summarized them, love God and love your neighbor as yourself, that is so attractive 
Wow, yes, that's what we should do. Love God and love others as much as we love ourselves. It's so right, but it's so impossible. We fail and we fall so far short of that. We need to go back to the love of God in Christ. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. We hope to celebrate the Lord's Supper this afternoon. In John 13, 1, Jesus, John said, it was just before the Passover, and Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and to go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he showed them the full extent of his love. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Christ is the beloved of the Father. And he says, the Father loves me because I lay down my life. John 10. And take it up again. As a believer, and as we've heard this morning, this call to love one another, and it's there. Never stop looking to Christ. And his love as the foundation of your life and for sanctification in your life. The more you grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ, the more you understand and see and appreciate the love of God in Christ for you as a beloved child of God, the more you will be enabled to love. And the more we together will be the family of love that God calls us to be. As much as we fall short of the glory of God's love, we have a great hope. We have a great hope. One day the whole Christian family of love will be together in heaven. The world of love. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called the children of God, and that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Dear friends, now we are the children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known, but we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And all who have this hope in him purify themselves, just as he is pure. 